0: I had two different language helpers, one in particular I spent a lot of time with. We, we, we read a lot of scripture, we talked a lot about scripture. He eventually became an elder in that church, in that fellowship. And in fact, his story is really interesting because he later then developed the liposarcoma, we've talked about uh, this friend before, and th- this type of cancer and was going through really hard times, but uh, his faith was really strong. He was Mm. like a rock, you know, and so when the other refugees saw him and going, they knew he was going through a hard time, they would see this and see, oh, this guy is still leaning on the Lord. You know, it was a tremendous uh, testimony.
1: What does ministry to refugees look like? Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today. We continue our discussion with Colin, who, along with his wife, were missionaries in the Middle East to refugees. Their time here in the States prepared them for this opportunity. One of the points he makes is that what we do here at home, the type of ministry we have here is often the type of ministry we have even in a different environment. We start today by asking him what his role was in ministry to refugees.
0: You know not a pastor. in fact that was uh, that was somewhat uh, a question that we tried to figure out ourselves okay what what is our role what's our best uh, fit here? One thing before I can explain that, I think the first thing to explain is like language learning. Because when you come in and the people we served, really, you know, no one spoke English, really. Iranians, Afghans, they didn't have English. So, really, to do anything, to serve in any way, you had to do your language study. That was really extensive language study because your goal is to have heart to heart conversations with someone in their own mother tongue, in their own heart language. Our actual first ministry, was with our language helpers so here in the states we went to a school on how to learn a language using a language helper and because there was no school for us to go to for this uh, be, because these are refugees there's there's not a school in that country to learn <laughs> their language so we had to use language helpers but uh, but it was really good uh when you sit with a language helper you know, for 10 hours a week, you have some really good conversations. One of the things we would do in our earlier days of study, as we're, for example, learning to read, well, we could read through the children's Bible, and then gradually, you know, get up to reading real scripture, but you have so much spiritual content to cover. And and you're just, you know, kind of life on life with your language helper. And we had, I had two different language helpers. One in particular, I spent a lot of time with. We read a lot of scripture. We talked a lot about scripture. He eventually became an elder in that church, in that fellowship. And uh, uh, and in fact, his story is really interesting because he later then developed the liposarcoma, and we've talked about uh, this friend before, and th- this type of cancer And was going through really hard times, but his faith was really strong. He was Mm. like a rock, you know. And so, when the other refugees saw him and going, they knew he was going through a hard time because he actually had three or four operations even there before he immigrated to Canada. They would see this and see, oh, this guy is still leaning on the Lord. You know, it was a tremendous uh, witness. It was a a tremendous. uh, a testimony to the lord's help and uh, and so he encouraged a lot of those refugees the other believing refugees to lean on the lord because you know refugees are generally going through pretty hard time in terms of financially hard time maybe they get some hard time at work because they're christian you know among uh muslims because the you know it's a muslim country that we were in actually
1: so these refugees came from a different country to the country you served in, and would most of them call themselves Christians when they came to the fellowship, or were most of them just looking for help somehow? They had heard that there's a group of people who could help them. How would would they describe themselves as they initially came to your fellowship? That's a good question. That's a good question.
0: In fact, we have a joke about this is in terms of Iran, but... uh, and and we had both Iranians and Afghans. But one thing we'd say is that the the best uh, evangelist in Iran is the government. That's because in the name of Islam, they oppressed people. You had so many people coming out of that oppression. I think really struggling. Really, I, I really haven't had uh, hardly any con- uh, conversations where people are trying to convince me of the truth of Islam. It was they're they're ready to get rid of it. You know, um, yeah. and they're looking really for truth. Yeah, so they're 100% of the people we served were Muslim background. So, you know, you might call them Muslim background believers. You know, be, I think because of their experiences, difficult experiences, they were looking for something else.
1: So describe a typical refugee in terms of financial needs, material needs, spiritual needs, what would be a uh, typical person that would come to your fellowship or would come to your attention?
0: The refugees would
1: uh, come into the city.
0: A lot of times they would come into the city because they knew somebody there. And uh, that was, so what they had to do, they had to go to the, the appropriate government office. At, at one point, the government would just send them, assign them a city. And sometimes they could have some influence over that. There was another time where they could just go to that city. And if the city was open to refugees, if they were taking refugees, they could go there. But a lot of times people had some sort of family or friends there. Uh, There was somewhat of a network they had. Uh, But uh, then they would rent uh, an apartment. And generally, they didn't have much money. So, you know, they're living in uh, not the newer apartments, you know, the older apartments in the city. Then they would get work, look for work, and it would be—it's it kind of complicated in, in in terms of work because they were, I guess, you would say, working on the black market. They, they didn't really have permission to work, but they would—virtually all of them would work. As a result, then they didn't get as much pay as people around them, uh, and they really didn't have any rights either. You know, so the workplace could be pretty tough place for them. Yeah, they're working and working a lot of hours in that country. People work a lot in in, in general, but uh, as refugees with uh, with no options, you know, few options, they worked a lot. You know, so the standard was uh, six days a week on the order of 10 hour days. So a lot of work, work, <laughs> work. We're not a lot of pay. Yeah, pretty tough. And some some would have money, not very many. Some had families that would support them. But in general, most, most were, were just coming and working and trying to get by.
1: <clears throat> so you had these people, I assume the men were the ones who were out working or were, were the women working as well?
0: Uh, both could work. Um, more men than women. But yeah, at times both... Uh, You know, for example, husband and wife might go to work or more often than not, the husband would go to work and the uh, wife would be at home taking care of the kids.
1: Yeah, yeah. but not much money, not much, I guess, not much freedom in terms of rights uh, that they would have to bring any case against their employer or anything like that. I mean, they were basically at the mercy of their employer, I suppose. Sure, exactly, 100%.
0: Hundred percent mercy. Yeah. yeah. So they, if things didn't work out, there was a problem. They might just have to go find another job, or you know that type of thing. But no, no, they really couldn't do anything about it.
1: One of the principles that we've learned as navigators is that to really pour into someone's life, they have to be available. That's one of the, of course, the three things, faithful, available, teachable. And what I hear you saying is, man, these guys are working 10 hours a day, six days a week. Where did you find the availability to to minister to them?
0: Good question. There were some guys who had a work schedule that was more flexible. Um, And then there was also Sunday. Sunday was a day when a lot of people had off. Most people had Sunday off. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to attend a church service evening service and then also during the week later in the evening so during the summer your meetings might be later. they may start at eight o'clock at night because people worked later in the summer. Uh, also in the winter, if people worked construction, they may be out of work you know because of the weather and the construction project was shut down. So winter time was a good time for getting guys to come and do Bible study.
1: That's the next area we want to get into is the discovery Bible study method that I think you utilized. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about that. What does that mean and what did that look like? Maybe before we go into the meat of what it looks like, tell us a little bit about how you would invite someone to be a part of a discovery Bible study group. You
0: know, actually, I want to go back a little bit to your earlier question about what was your role, were you a pastor or what? One principle I think that I learned in uh, in serving in these last years is that um, you know probably when if you if you're going to go to some other country to serve you yourself probably aren't going to change a whole lot you know from what you were here probably whatever you do here you'll tend to do there mm. you know? so our our ministry in the states would tend to be hospitality and small group bible study I just love to study the word with people, you know, in small groups. I'm not a, I'm not an upfront guy, you know, like a very, I'm I'm more introverted and not an upfront guy. And what the way we served over there was really the same way. You know, we would have people in our home or, and then also we really concentrated on the small group Bible study. And it was actually over there that we came across the Discovery Bible Study Method. One of the important things about it is that our our friends from the Muslim background uh, really came with uh, uh, the background is such that in Islam they really couldn't read the books and understand it and feel like, okay, God's talking to me, <laughs> you know, but the Bible's different. And as you well know, you know, the Bible is different and we can actually read the Bible. We could read the Bible as a small group together and God speaks to us and we can understand it, you know, enough and, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, God will speak to us and guide us along. And so um, the goal really is that, you know, the same goal we have here is get people to actually read the word. and and uh, learn to feed off God's Word.
1: In the Bible, we have the very Word of God, and He speaks to us through that. We are so blessed that we can read it for ourselves and understand what God has for us. Next time, we take a deeper dive into what a discovery Bible study is all about and how you might be able to use it right here where you are. It's a very easy, natural way to introduce people to the stories of the Bible. Learn more about that next time right here on Making Disciples Naturally.